Handful of Stars by Cynthia Lord, Chapter 2. I've raised you better than that, my grandmother said that night when I told her how Lucky ate a girl's sandwich and chips. Lily, you're going to have to bring that child something else to eat, in case that was all she had. But my mare, it happened at lunchtime, I said. She'll think it's weird if I show up with food now. And how am I going to find her? I don't even know her name. Pear Pear will take you over to their camp. My grandfather opened his mouth like he was going to protest. Then he shut it. Pear likes to say that when Memer gets an idea in her head, she's like a hurricane and everybody else should die for cover. Mrs. Lamont brought in some frozen tortiere for this morning, for the store this morning, Memer said. I still have a couple to sell. You'll bring that child's family one of those. You want me to bring a pork pie to the camp? But I don't even know if she likes tortiere, I said. Maybe she's a vegetarian. Mare Mare tipped her head down to look at me over her eyeglasses. I'll get you a sturdy bag. Those pies are heavy. If I bring her anything, I should bring bread and peanut butter so she can make a new sandwich, I said. Groceries? No, that won't do at all, Mare Mare said. It might look like we think the child's poor and that'd be insulting. But she is poor, isn't she? I thought that's why migrant workers kept moving, because they didn't have enough money and needed to find work, even if it was far away. Tiger Lily Marie, Mare Mare said. I cringed. When Mare Mare uses my whole real name like that, the conversation is over, because Mare Mare is the only person who hates my name as much as I do. The story is that when Mama looked out the hospital window right after I was born, she saw orange tiger lilies blooming. It was such a pretty sight, she picked my name right then and there. I wish Mama had seen roses or violets or daisies out the window that day. But as Pear Pear always says, there's sunshine on the other side of every rain cloud. So it could have been worse. Mama could have named me Ragweed. Lucky jumped up when he heard us walking toward the door. Go lie down, Mare Mare said. You've caused enough trouble today. Lucky flopped on his dog bed under the window. If Pear Pear or I had scolded him, Lucky would have whimpered and wrinkled his brow into the saddest dog face ever, trying to change our minds. But those tricks didn't work with Mare Mare. A long time ago, he was Mama's dog. Pear Pear says Maine was never enough for her, and after high school, Mama went off to Boston, and then Florida, and then New York. But I guess those places weren't enough either, because she came back, bringing Lucky and me with her. I wish I knew what Mare Mare said when Mama came home with a puppy and a two-year-old. Even though I was there, I don't remember that day or anything about being two. I don't even remember Mama, except for photos I've seen or stories people have told me. To me, Mare Mare and Pear Pear's apartment above the store has always been home. Mama has always been gone, and Lucky has always been grown up, and now old. I didn't even know he was losing his sight. Dr. Katz said it had come on slowly, and there was nothing I could have done to stop it. Still, when something bad is happening to your best friend, it seems like you should know. I'll be back, I promised Lucky. Then I followed Mare Mare downstairs from our home above the store. I shifted my feet, waiting while she put a frozen pork pie in a paper bag. It's a nice night, Pear Pear said, so we'll walk. I sighed. If we took the truck, the whole embarrassing trip would be over quicker, but he only used the truck when he had to. Gas is expensive, and the truck is old. Be safe, Mare Mare said, as usual. It's a long walk to the Barrens, especially if it's the second time you've had to take that trip in one day. On the way, I took extra steps to keep up with Pear Pear. We walked quietly out of town and down the road that cuts the barrens in half 
past all the no trespassing signs and towards the line of little blue cabins for the workers at Winthrop Blueberry. Coming along, the migrant camp just seems to pop up suddenly in the middle of the wide, flat barrens. It always reminds me of the Wizard of Oz when the Emerald City disappears in the distance over the poppy fields, except the camp buildings are blue, not emerald green, and there's a big group of orange porta potties in the center. As we left the road, there was another sign. All visitors must register at the security building. I'd never actually gone into the camp before. I swallowed hard as we passed men smoking cigarettes around a picnic table. A few of them turned to look at us like Pear Pear and I didn't belong there. I wished I could just stash the bag with a pork pie behind one of the towers of empty blueberry bins so I wouldn't have to give the girl this ridiculous thank you present. The girl who helped you was Hispanic? Pear Pear asked me quietly. I nodded. Miguel might know her, and he speaks English, Pear Pear said. The migrant workers mostly keep to themselves, but they all get to know Mare Mare and Pear Pear eventually. Our store is the closest one to the camp, and we can wire money to faraway places, so they come in to send some of their paychecks home to Mexico or Honduras or Quebec or wherever the rest of their family lives. Helping out at the store, I know some of the workers who come each year to live in those tiny blue houses. There's Charles Wabisi, a Micmac from Nova Scotia, and the Perez family who stays through December to work at the Christmas wreath making factory. Diego Perez is in my class at school until holiday break every year. We have a going away party for him before he leaves each winter. And there's Miguel who brings the blueberry rakes to Pear Pear anytime they need fixing. Only some of the workers speak English. If they're from Canada, sometimes they speak French. But Pear Pear has no trouble with that. He can switch between French and English in the middle of a sentence, sometimes without even meaning to. Both of us know only a handful of words in Spanish, though, and gracias is the only word I thought would be helpful right now. Miguel? Pepper asked the men at the picnic table. A man in a black t-shirt pointed to the office, a bigger building than the cabins, but painted the same blue with white trim. Sure enough, we saw Miguel as soon as we stepped inside. He was standing beside a desk, helping another man fill out some paperwork. Excuse me, Miguel, Pear said. Miguel and the man looked up. Armand, he said, smiling. What can I do for you? I hoped Pear would explain, but he pushed the back of my arm. Lily needs a little help. I took a deep breath. My dog got loose today and ran all the way here. A girl who was raking helped me catch him, and my dog ate her peanut butter sandwich. Mayor thought... Mrs. Lamont's pork pie would be a better thank you present than another sandwich, though, so I brought one. I knew I was babbling because the man with Miguel was looking back at his paperwork. He'd already given up trying to understand me. I don't know how to find the girl because I don't know her name, I continued. Where was she raking? Miguel asked. Near the road, I said. Yes, but where? he asked. The fields were lined with string for raking. If you could tell me where, I might know which family had that section. I could show you, I said. Miguel and Pear Pear and the man with the paperwork trailed behind me until I was pretty sure I had the right area. I'd guess it was the Santiago's, cottage number 57. Miguel pointed down the row of little blue cabins. Their daughter's name is Salma. I hesitated. It was one thing to tell Mare Mare I'd do this and another thing to walk up to the Santiago's cabin and hand over a pork pie. Come on, Miguel said. I'll introduce you. That made me feel a little better. Pear Pear and I followed Miguel past campers and trucks and lots of little blue houses, some with picnic tables and others with boxes and coolers beside the door. In the dirt driveway between number 57 and number 58 was an older green pickup truck with Florida license plates. 
and some trash cans with the lids tied down to keep the raccoons and bears and seagulls from helping themselves. My heart beat hard as Miguel knocked on the door. A man with a dark mustache answered, squinting a little, looking worried when he saw us. Miguel spoke to the man in Spanish, and the man said, Salma? Miguel nodded. Eduardo, this is Armand Dumond, who runs the general store in town with his wife Marie, he said in English, and here is their granddaughter Lily. Hello, said Pere Pere. Nice to meet you. Come in, the man said. Phew, he speaks some English, but as I followed him inside, I couldn't help staring. On the outside, the cabin was painted light blue with white trim, as cute as a dollhouse. But inside, there were only four bare wood walls and beams all showing. Hats and shirts hung on nails, and bunk beds lined two of the walls. A table and chairs took up the opposite corner. A woman sat in one of the chairs. She had long brown hair, and she stood up as we entered, smoothing the sides of her jeans. A radio played quietly on the table next to a roll of paper towels. A gallon jug of water and a little pile of upside-down playing cards like we'd interrupted a game. This is Rosa Santiago, Miguel said, motioning to the woman, and their daughter, Salma. Salma was sitting on one of the bottom bunk beds, her feet up on the bed, her arms hugging her knees. My hands twisted the edge of the bag. Smile, I told myself. Hi, Salma stood up and crossed her arms over her stomach. How's your dog? He's fine. I pulled in a deep breath. I wanted to say thank you, gracias, for giving your dog your, giving my dog your lunch today. I don't know how I would have caught him if you hadn't, and he's blind, so he would have been in trouble if he'd reached the woods. He doesn't bump into stuff at home because he's memorized everything. Well, unless he, we forget and move something, but he definitely would have hurt himself here if he'd run into a tree. But anyway, I felt bad that... Um, Maybe you didn't get to eat any lunch because Lucky ate yours, so I wanted to bring you something to make up for that, and my grandmother thought you might like this pie. It's called tortière. That's French, but it's not dessert pie. It's dinner pie with pork, so I hope you aren't vegetarian. Mrs. Santiago asked something in Spanish, and Salma answered her. I wish I knew enough to translate what they'd said to each other because I worried it was something like this. Who is this crazy girl, and what does she want? I have no idea. Something about pie? Mrs. Lamont makes them, I continued, and they're kind of famous, well, in the pork pie world. The pork pie world? I should just stop talking. Bake it for 45 minutes at 350 degrees, Pear Pear added. The instructions are on the bottom. As he spoke, I suddenly realized the cabin didn't have a whole kitchen, just some boxes and cans of food stacked up in plastic crates near the table. I'd brought something for her family to cook, and they had no stove. They didn't even have a refrigerator stored in. I didn't dare look at anyone as I set the pork pie on the table beside the playing cards. Anyway, gracias, I said, but I was so nervous it came out sounding more like gracious. Salma said something to her parents in Spanish, but as I walked away, she spoke in English. Thank you for the famous pork pie. Was she making fun of me? But when I turned to look, she wasn't smirking, arms down by her sides. She was smiling. I didn't even have to tell my face to smile back. It did it all by itself. I'm really glad your dog is okay, she said. I nodded. Me too, but you're the reason he's okay. Well, you and your sandwich. And don't forget the chips, she said. None of the adults seemed to think that was funny, but Salma and I laughed like it was the funniest joke ever. As I walked out of the camp with Pear Pear, I turned around every few feet to wave to Salma standing in the doorway of number 57. She waved back until the road took us out of sight.